that all you're going to say? Yeah. Well, welcome back to another episode of Electric Cinema Podcast. I, as always, am Zach. And I'm Kaylee. And we are back and we are going to purgatory. Yes. Yay. Thanks for that joke, Kaylee. It's terrible, but my dad would be proud. We're going um, to purgatory. Purge has been out for a little bit. We've got some stuff to talk about uh, regarding the Purge, and we have a lot to purge about this movie. It's franchise. The middle of July in 2018, but Halloween is coming in like 90 days. I think so. 90 some days. I'm not good. Probably 100 some days. Yeah, I'm not good at math, and I'm not going to try to figure it out. But (laughs) it's the perfect time of year to start getting excited for Halloween. Hopefully, you're starting to figure out your costume and decorating your house. Because we are, because we're weird. Not really. We're cute. But we will start and doing it soon. Uh, we are. We have gotten the horror bug, and it's starting again, like it always does around this time every year. So before we get into the episode, let's do what we do. Cheers. So oh, delicious alcohol. So I think what we're going to talk about today is, like, what, because the Purge movies are such a, like, they're such an iconic franchise in the horror genre to, like, you know, who we are now as a society, and so I feel like that's, well, that and we just watched the first Purge today. Yeah, we just got back from the movie theater (laughs) a little while ago. Um, I think those two things kind of made us think about some of the other horror movies we've been watching lately, as well as, you know, what really works in the Purge franchise, what doesn't, and what we'd like to see in the future as far as, you know, other horror movies are concerned, you know, the... There's something else that we'll get to talk about in a little bit that happened about halfway through the credits of the first Purge um, that I want to touch on a little bit. So we're just going to kind of take it easy and make this a fun kind of getting back at the swing of things episode. I know it's kind of been a while, but we've been planning a whole bunch of new episodes. So this is kind of a nice little taster. Before we get too deep into this, if you haven't seen the first Purge and you are worried about spoilers, which I don't know how you could be about that series, but if you are, uh, go ahead and come back to this episode after you've gone and watched it, or listen to it if you aren't too worried about spoilers, because we're not going to ruin an incredible amount. I'm going to ruin everything. We are going to talk about the the most recent Purge movie. And all the Purge movies. Yeah, so, you know, go visit those if you haven't visited them, and... uh, much further ado i mean we should get into it we can start with the first one or we can just go into like what we think works you know let's start with what doesn't work and move backwards because i feel like that almost works a little bit better for the series okay well i mean one of the things that i noticed with this most recent purge film is that we're moving backwards in time uh from the first purge obviously through Ethan Hawke and his family just living through the purge. And I think that there's something to be said about that. There, There is some, you know, iceberg theory maybe where, you know, we, we have this, this introduction to this, this terrifying proposal to make 
all crime, including murder, illegal on the one night. <laughs> but we've been waiting essentially for years now, probably five years, to actually yeah. figure out like well, how. No, because the last one came out in 2016. No, I'm saying from the first first oh. one. Like, how could we get to this point as a society where we would allow this to happen? You know, I mean, uh, a good point that someone made is like, I mean, it's not that far in the future that the original Purge movie is set. Yeah, it's and 2022 so, is yeah. when it's set in. So that's a good four years from now. That's when the newest one is? or that's No, when, no, that's, that's when, when the... the so, I mean, how many OG years has it been one. going, you know? By, if conceivably the first Purge were to happen this year, which I don't know if you were paying attention, but I didn't really get a year out of the, the first Purge. I mean, I feel like there were smartphones... So No, I mean like smartphones have been around for a few years, but Yeah, but I feel like I feel like it was trying to be in today, you know? Yeah. Like it's 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 part of the aesthetic of today, but like it's not that far in the future when Ethan Hawke is, is defending his household. So the moving backwards is interesting because it's exposing more and more and more every time that there's a new film as to what would allow that to happen in society. But at the same time, um, I don't know if the, the moving backwards in time necessarily works. I think that it, it would have been better had that been introduced in anarchy or election year. Right, I agree. And, like, one of the biggest things for me that I thought was kind of weird about it is that, like, okay, if you're looking at it like a parallel universe to ours, then, right, it makes sense that, you know, like, the housing market crashes, which, you know, like, the housing market is actually thriving right now because so many people are moving to so many different places. Everyone wants to move someplace, so... Like, renting and buying homes has, you know, like, it's actually starting to get better than, you know, it, it was in 2008. Which yeah. is, they fully suggest that it's the worst housing crisis since 2008. Yeah, the subprime mortgage market fails. And uh, that's, I mean, steps have been taken to, to really avoid the issues that happened in 2008. But at the same time, in a parallel universe, if something had been a little bit different than mm -hmm. you know things get you know they really really as much as it's set in like this alternate universe where this third party comes in and takes over instead of the republicans or the democrats this new founding fathers of america um there there's a lot of parallel between the current political climate and mm -hmm. the past political climate and you know they employ all of that into what could actually bring about the purge i mean like i don't know i've talked to a lot of guys that are a little bit older than me that have seen some of the the division in the country but i can't think of a time or i've never been told of a time or i can't examine a time in the united states where things have been so divided in recent history i mean except for now i mean that's what i'm saying in recent history other than now you know things are the most divided they've been in, in my lifetime, in nearly 30 right, years. Right, absolutely. Um, you know, and I feel like that goes towards a lot of, you know, when I was looking up IMDb reviews about this movie, um, 
which has become my new favorite hobby. <laughs> I love looking up hilarious IMDb reviews because people are funny and clever. Um, I found a lot of people saying one and saying that like, oh my god, I just can't believe the white guys were the bad guys. And I'm like, well, I mean, really take a look at the trailers you watch as opposed to the movie you got. It's not, like, the correlation is pretty much there. It's not like, you know, people are like, ha-ha, we're sneaky, you know. I think that that both did and didn't work for this movie because, th at least the newest movie, I mean, there's been a sociopolitical message from the beginning, which I, oh, think, absolutely. I think actually makes sense. I mean, the idea of, like, the, the poorest uh, people, mm -hmm. the most destitute people, the most uh, marginalized people can't necessarily protect themselves from the purge in the way that the rich can. And I mean, moving backwards from Ethan Hawke and his family having all of these these safeguards against the purge and, you know, political senators being in the second one, you know, not political senators, but political figures being exempt from the purge, you know, it, it, it clearly aligns itself with the fact that, like, it's, it's the socio-political poor and POC and, you know, the marginalized that are taken advantage of in this time of the purge if people are really just trying to purge themselves of, of this need to to kill. But at the same time, in, in some regard, like, this one hit it way too hard on the head. Like, they hit the nail way too hard on the head. Like, I remember turning to you and asking you every, like, five minutes, like, so what do you think this movie's about? Yeah. It, Just because it was so, like, it was so, so obvious. obvious. And it was like, it wasn't hey, look what we're doing. Instead of, like, hey, so, like, maybe you should pay more attention, you know? Yeah, Which I is mean, fine, and everything has its, like, place. But I feel like in the Purge series, which has gone from, you know, like, Basically, a movie like The Strangers, which is all about, like, you know, uh, what like home invasion. Yeah, like home invasion to some. I don't really know what the second one was. Like, I kind of blocked that one out, sort honestly. Of society so falling boring. apart. Yeah, society falling apart to the third one, which is like, you know, Olympus has fallen to the fourth that, one, which with is. With that very tasty, like, uh, religious cult. Like hillbilly horror. It, 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 no, but it's almost like uh, upper middle class horror. Right. Right. Uh, almost like American Psycho meets hillbilly horror. Yeah. I'd say. Like hillbilly ideology dressed up in a, a beautiful suit. Right. Exactly. And then you get the fourth one, which I, I know you're going to disagree with me about this because we've talked about it, but I think the fourth one, you know, which is really the prequel, the one that we just watched, serves as a zombie apocalypse almost but in a very contained space so yeah. essentially what you've got is all your neighbors and all your friends who suddenly become these like bloodthirsty monsters and you know they turn into these like unrecognizable almost like human ish type creatures and don't even get me started with those irises because that was a brilliant move on the franchise's part um you know with the contacts that make the eyes a different color well it's interesting because like you had the masks in the first one which were very sort of strangers. uncanny but very strangers and then the masks became even more 
of a part in the second one, and then the third one, like they're you know that aesthetic gets it's even more pushed to the front. Now you've got these irises and everything, but you know as much as I like don't necessarily agree with you that it's a zombie film, I like that idea because for those that haven't seen the film, uh, there's a character that you're introduced to right at the beginning of the first purge called Skeletor who has all these cuts and scars all over his face and he's mm -hmm. clearly insane clearly should not be out in society but he really functions as patient zero you yeah. know like patient x in the zombie apocalypse right. he he's the first person to kill someone in the purge and then he goes to the block party where people are doing exactly what you and I would probably do during the purge you know party have fun probably take some illegal materials into our body you know maybe participate in some looting do some things or some like exhibitional sex yeah you know, like, like do some debauchery if indeed we were in that type of world but you know it, people with a moral center beyond like like limited to what works for society wouldn't do what Skeletor does Skeletor functions as that like that patient zero, that patient X, like, oh, shit, like, stuff's actually happening now. You know, when, when everyone scatters from him at the party, that's literally the breaking point of, like, everyone's not really purging, everyone's not really purging. Then people are starting to purge. And then it's kind of like, fuck you, motherfucker, you're yeah. not going to touch me, you're not going to touch my personal property. Mm -hmm. It goes from being, like, hey, this is a vacation, to, oh, no, a zombie bit my best friend, and now we have to take cover. It's, it's very much like it functions as, you know, like a, a piranha or a Jaws or a zombie. Well, yeah, Jaws is a perfect example because everyone's having fun at the beach and then suddenly the shark shows up and everyone's dying and everyone's like, oh, no, but they're either stuck in the middle of the ocean or they're getting out and they're watching their friends get torn apart, you know, or piranha. That's another good one. That's a, such a terribly campy movie. Um, by the way, I would like to notate that there is very little camp in the first three films. Uh, in the first one, there it's it functions as this, you know, home invasion horror. In the second one, it's this survival in downtown LA, uh, where some Billy badass takes these people through the city, and then he's had this whole revenge plot this whole time. And then the third one. You've got the citizen ambulance and the people defending their small businesses, but there's not really there's what you could call obvious camp that's not campy. It wasn't intentionally campy. I will say, as a fan of campy horror films, mm -hmm. like I love campy horror films, like Strangers Two. That, that was that even was less campy. Like I'll take the the Cabin Fever reboot on Netflix right now is pure camp pure trash you know clown uh stitches these things oh, yeah. they're pure camp trash but they're so fun and this film finally finally embraced camp and it wasn't afraid to be a little bit like silly and i you know what as a person that wasn't expecting a lot from the film i really enjoyed it I don't think that it, it took away from the film. I think a lot of people were like, well, it's written by a seven-year-old who doesn't understand action. Like, I'm sorry that, like, you expected something from this film series, but I honestly was pleasantly surprised. 
Absolutely. Um, now, if you don't mind, I'm just going to go through a list of the following things that haven't happened yet that I feel like are an atrocity against the film franchise. I mean, ultimately, what I would like to see out of it, you know, the same way we were talking about the hot dog sliders. Yeah. So, um, flashbacks. Conversation, yeah, by the way. Sorry. Totally unrelated <laughs> to the podcast. Uh, flashbacks to being wronged outside slash inside uh, Purge's past. Which we remember, though, actually sort of happens in, in Purge election year. One single scene. No, it's like she's. There's maybe two scenes throughout the movie, but she definitely flashes back to her family being killed. But I get your point. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying there is some of that. Well, okay, so, like, I want to see some chick. This sounds really awful. I want to see some chick who has been raped take revenge against her rapist. I want to see that sort of story. Can I interject? I'm, yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about the lack of other crime that has been in yes, these films? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like, one of the biggest things that, that I was going to say is that we've seen children throughout the franchise, especially with the first Purge. Like, mm -hmm. we saw a room full of children, and where are the dead children? I feel like it was completely and totally unrealistic. It's hard for a movie to show dead children. Like, it's... It's, it's rated it's R. Ballsy. No, it's balls. ballsy, but, like, when you're a studio, when you're a major studio, like, showing dead children is just... It's easier to show a dead dog than a dead child. It's easier to show a dead anything than a dead child. It's easier to show... A lynching, which was in Purge election year, than it is to show a dead child. People are just terrified of that. Because any moment you can become, you know, hobo with a shotgun or something like that. Like, you, you have to be on the fringes to actually show dead children or kill children, you know? Well, and I want to point out that, like, almost immediately after you pointed out to me that there wasn't any depictions of rape or molestation in the first purge that there actually was a little bit of molestation in what sense uh the guy who like grabbed her ankle and like pulled her down to the gutter and then was like grabbing her thighs oh the first hurt. purge the newest yes, one okay okay literally... you have to clarify the purge versus the first purge yes that i said did the happen. first purge i know but when <laughs> it's so stupid that they named it the first purge because when you're saying the first purge i'm thinking like the original purge with Ethan Hawke in it, you know? And, and Cersei Lannister. Yeah, yeah not uh, Lena, Lena Hetty? Lena, Lena. That's literally, I just said you Lena said Cersei. Hetty. You said Cersei Lannister. Yeah. You literally said just Cersei Lannister. Well, yeah, so, like, that's pretty implicit. That's Lena Hetty. I know, but I want to I notate <laughs> her name because she's not Cersei. I she's know. She's an actress. I know, but she's, she's Cersei better, Lannister. She's, she's a great Cersei Lannister, but she's got more diversity than that. But anyway... Yes, in the first purge, there was definitely a moment where they were grabbing her vagina, in which I think that the writers were like, let's just throw this terrible little fuckstick of a line in there. Like, oh, you fucking pussy grabber. That's what she says. Something you know? like that. No, she calls him a pussy. No, she says... No, she calls him a pussy, babe. No, I she literally noticed. says... Fucking pussy grabber. Well, I guess we'll see when it comes out on DVD. Yes, we will. I'm not going to rewatch that someone in my movie in the, Someone in the comments, please vindicate me. I am 100% sure that she calls him a pussy grabber. And I believe that it was put in there by the writers to, like, throw out a little jab. Which I don't care about because Donald Trump is... 
We're not a political podcast. We're not a political podcast. Anyway, so I feel like um, it was important to put that in there, though, because she calls him she calls him a nasty pervert. She, she, says, she does say a nasty pervert. She calls him a pussy and calls him a nasty pervert. Okay, agree to disagree on the other thing. Whatever. She does call him a pervert, though, and so that was part of it. But, I mean, another thing that we had talked about is, like, there's not widespread looting. No one's doing drugs. There's no one just fucking in the street. How come that didn't happen for three films? And finally, it's like someone went out and did a survey of people that watch mm-hmm. Purge movies, and they're like, what can we put in this film so it's believable? And bam, 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 back and back to back to back. You had sex. parties. You had people doing drugs. You had people having sex in the middle of the street in the film. In the like, middle of the street. Like, thank you for visiting the things that, like, we felt people would actually do. Yeah, and, like, that's been a complaint of moviegoers goers for quite some time about the franchise. Is like, hey, we're all not, like, slashy, like, murder-happy people. There are some of us who just want to, like, chill and maybe, like, take some LSD and pass out or something. You know, you can't pass out on LSD, by the way. <laughs> um, just pointing it out there. But, uh, so, another thing that I wanted to complain about is the lack of strong me- uh, female characters. Which, I can think of one that's, like, a really strong female character. Mm-hmm. Who's that? That's Lainey in the third one. Mm-hmm. She's a terrific female character. She doesn't need... There's no romance. There's no, like, guy to protect her, really. I mean, she has her, like, her... What, her dad, her uncle, whatever he is? Yeah, whatever he is. Um, She has him, but basically she is, like, she is the death. Like, she is, like, so vitriolic and she will come to you and like I mean she's like um what was the name that they gave John Wick cause it's more applicable to this chick like she is Baba Yaga essentially like she is just evil yeah know? like people fear she, her but she's running around in this like citizen run ambulance mm-hmm. for people on purge night and that's like such a strong female character as opposed to I loved Blades, if she ever fucking had a line. Yeah, she didn't get a single line in the first purge. It and was like, that so made me sad. sad. She was a really cool character. They had a female gang member, which I feel like is a really big deal because you don't see it a lot. And that was like, she has to be the strong, silent type and literally never say a word her entire time. I mean, on that's cool because they've given that to so many male characters in the past, you know. But at the same time, like, come on, you know, give her, give her one line, particularly because, sorry, had a hiccup there, uh, particularly because D is so, like, ride or die with her, and when, spoiler alert, she actually dies, he's broken up about it, like, his friend Seven, who, like, got him the whores, and, like, is clearly his best friend, gets fucking, like, shot to death by a drone in the sky yeah and he basically crawls over the top of his body to go put a coat over the top of blades blades. and and the problem is is that some sort of chivalry because she's the girl or is it because she's a better friend than someone ever was like he literally establishes in like the first couple of scenes he says 
you know, this is Blades, and she's going to do anything for me because I put food on her table, and that's her main motivation right now. So, you know, like, like she's basically, like, just a ride-or-die sort of person, and, you know, like, she gets no lines. And I'm sorry, I know that the main female character, whose name I've already forgotten, by the way, is a great character, and she's a great big sister, but honestly, she, like, she Naya. lets... Naya. thank you. She lets D come in and save her. Even though she's furious with him, doesn't want her want him anywhere around her. And then there's some weird phone call, like, magical phone call, where he's like, hey, by the way, you have to get back. When they haven't talked the entire purge night. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why she would answer the phone. Like, she's dealing with her own shit. It just doesn't make sense in the context of the film. It's not that bad if they had actually written a little bit more into their story. Because, like, them holding out in their apartment, that makes the most sense. D coming to save them makes the most sense because he's on the outside. It doesn't make her weak. It's the way that they either edited the film or wrote the film. The phone that, call that was took completely away some and totally of her, unnecessary. It took away some of her agency because she was badass yeah. the entire film until she needed to be saved by him. You know, like he they could have taken that out of there in any other way. She could have saved herself, but you know, they they wanted those characters. And I want to say that uh what's his face? We keep calling him D. I'll check. Well, we, we want I know. D. He's, like, called I D. Just, he gets called D all the, the whole movie, so that's all I thought about. Like, we wanted D to be a badass. I'm going to say right now, the people that dislike this movie because it was... Un- Dimitri. Dimitri, that's it. That's Fuck. why. I, like, thought of it he's as soon as... He's D. But <laughs> people that wanted Dimitri, like, were mad that Dimitri was, like, this one-man army. How many of your Jason Stathams or your Arnold Schwarzeneggers or your your Rocks or your, you know, freaking Vin Diesels or any other... Jack guy. Like, Jack dude, have you tolerated being one-man armies? John Wick, that, like, just kills so many dudes. But you can't tolerate this one black man, like, being able to protect his home. I'm sorry, but, like, that was awesome to me. It was campy as fuck, and it was totally unbelievable, and I have my complaints about it. But I totally loved him, like, going in there badass, like one-man army taking down all that of the, so that cool. militia like going up through the projects that was super awesome. super cool totally into it don't care what people think about it. yeah don't care about the, I mean, the one-star reviews the biggest thing about it is that you have to keep in mind that it's basically just the purge it's going to be the purge no matter what it's never going to be this highly intelligent film that we have to put on a pedestal and, you know, it's never going to be the worst piece of garbage that we've ever seen because there are some, like, legitimate pieces of garbage. You know, it's a campy... Like, it's a horror film. I think <laughs> that's the problem with this film series, though, is because people expect too much from it or they put too much impetus on these films. You know, I think that there's definitely a message in this film that people took too seriously. I feel like there's they a... politicized it before the the movies politicize themselves almost and And that's what created like the oh well you either love it or you hate it like nah bitch i'm right in the middle people expect them to be smart political commentaries but they're really not like it's not really a smart political it's not intelligent you want a political commentary horror film it's not unintelligent it's it's written 
it seems like it's written by a second year sociology major who exactly. has a basic understanding but no real world experience of the way that things work. I mean, no... ultimately, if you want a more clever version of this movie, just go watch Get Out. If you haven't seen Get Out, watch Get Out. Like even even Get Out happens in such a vacuum. That's the problem with this film, with Get Out, and I love these films. But like they happen in such a vacuum, and that socio political commentary just ends up hurting more than it's helping because of the audience. I I'm so down. I'm so down for like the narrative because I truly believe that something like The Purge mm -hmm. would hurt the destitute. It would hurt POC. It would hurt uh, you know marginalized people. It would hurt poor people. But there comes a time where you've hit the nail. Have you ever have you ever been nailing something and you've hit the nail too hard on the head and you broke the head? Yeah. That's Either that happening. or it gets dug in so deep there's no hope of getting it back out. Yeah, you can't there's no subtlety and there's no yeah, exactly. alignment. You know, you don't you don't make a clear plane. You you've dug it too deep. Right. And that's the problem. And either you're totally into that political commentary mm -hmm. or it totally pisses you off. Or you're like you and I, where it's like it's right in the middle. It's like, eh, like I'm glad this commentary is here. Well kind of unnecessary at times, but and a big thing that I missed about all of it is that, like, I want to see some more roving gangs of, like, good people. Totally. Of, like, the punks who are so fucking fed up with the Nazis that they're like, no, we're going to go kill some Nazi scum. Oh, and they're, so like, much choking someone too. with, like, a red boot lace. Yeah. You know? Just, like, beating someone to death with their bike chains while they're listening to the exploited, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or, like... You know, even Mad Max Fury wrote it where you've, like, got this decked out freaking, like, Lincoln Continental, mm -hmm. you know, that's got all these, like, skulls on the front of it, and it's, like, blasting Blitzkrieg Bop or something. Mm -hmm. You know, just, like, give me some... And, like, they can be... Like, I'm not suggesting that it's just white punks. I'm saying, like, let's see some punks, like, beat the shit out of people... Because those are the people who I think are more chaotic good than, like, anyone else. I would love to see that. I'd love to see the vigilantes, you know, the vigilante superhero types who are like, I can only kill the bad guys this one day of the year. You know? And just, like... Yeah, where's the Batmans of the year? Yeah, exactly. Like, I... <laughs> You know, and the other thing for me that, like, really bothers me is that if The Purge were real and in our reality, it would have, like, a lot of influence on culture. And we never get to see that. We never get to see, like, what it looks like on Tumblr, Facebook, Reddit. Instagram. Instagram, you know, where oh. you're, like, holding someone's decapitated head. You know, you're never seeing, like, the, the clip shows and the, like, YouTube's, like, best purge videos, oh, you know, man. where you're oh. creating, like, these mini psychopaths who grow up thinking that That's okay. killing is, like, the best way to handle, like, anger. Well, I mean, you kind of have that address, but not really in the, uh, the purge election year with the little entitled girl that has the gold-plated AK-47 and the nice vehicle who's mad over a candy bar, you know? These are the Gen Zers that have grown up with this idea, of pass possibly after, who've grown up with this idea that this is acceptable. And mm -hmm. this is meant to, I'm not shit-talking Gen Zers. 
I'm not shit talking millennials, but I'm just saying, like in this alternate universe, they've grown up with the justification that this is all right. So you know, you you did bring that up. I like the idea. Another idea that you had written down, and I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but right. I like the idea of like what happens the rest of the year. You know, there was a recent Tumblr post about like imagine that you know the next day after you go in to work after the purge and everyone's like oh what happened from what happened to kyle from sales and, yeah and and you're the one that killed him so you have to explain like oh yeah i tore out his guts last night with a fish hook like you know you know how, how does it work the rest of the year you, do, do you just sit there and have conversations with your neighbor and he's sitting there telling you about your mulberry tree like how it's how its branches are hanging over to his yard and you're thinking like only 264 days until I get to fucking gut this guy. Well, and see, the other interesting thing about it is that you kind of get to see a little snippet of it like before each purge. But it's to the point now, I feel like, you know, where you have like so many jump scares in the before the purges that it's like, what the fuck is even the point of this? Like, you're not going to do anything right now. You're going to do something later. So let's just skip to the something later because, like, ultimately, unless we're seeing the all year long, like, the anticipation buildup, the, like, you know, maybe they're not allowed to talk about Purge outside of Purge night. Ooh, but that would be interesting. But, see, I don't think that's true because in election year, it's a main topic of discussion in the pre presidential campaign. So I feel like you can talk about it. So, like, you could straight up threaten someone and be like, I'm going to kill you come purge night. I mean, it's not the very smart thing to do because they're going to try and kill you then. But ultimately, it's all about that. You know, it's, it's about, I, I do, I want to see, like, what happens the rest of the year and how it affects the society. I mean, essentially... You're creating, like, little girls and boys who, like, grow up into, like, you know, Columbine-sized teenagers who are like, well, it's okay to do it this night of the year, so why not just do it right now? Well, but then you've got that idea that, like, it's only legal one time a year, and so everyone can get away with it. And, like, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, you know, besides, well, hold on, we'll do this other shot here. Cheers. We're just doing straight shots of vodka because that's what feels appropriate. Been a rough day. If you've been listening <laughs> to us for a long time, we used to do fancy shots, but, you know, the purge has got us thinking, so we're just drinking straight vodka. Anyway, so we're thinking about, like, this happens one time a year. Mm -hmm. Every single movie establishes that people are living... There are less people living below the poverty line, and that unemployment has gone down. However, if you think about it in the context of the first purge, and what we see through the socio-political message there, that the reason people are living, like less people are living below the poverty line is because they're killed on the purge, mm -hmm. or unemployment goes down because those on unemployment are killed during the purge. We get that, but at the same time, we, have been questioning ourselves the world has been questioning themselves and we're gonna get into the Avengers here so if you haven't seen that yet well first of all you're fucking up but second of all like this is gonna throw some spoilers out there but we're gonna get into the Thanos doctrine about the idea of like destroying half of the population 
of the universe. Yes, it's wrong to take life, particularly that level of life. We are not but, advocating for murder, by the way. No, but if you're looking at it from just a resource standpoint, there are people that have found that Thanos is is humanized in that sense. Oh, yeah. He's he's, you know, his his whole idea is not to, it's to just kill everyone. It's very humanitarian act. It's honestly yeah. because what he wants is the fifty percent remaining to have very prosperous, very healthy life. Much like, um, you know, we actually looked this up uh, with film theorist. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of our, like, we have done no research on this. It all comes from watching things. So, but uh, in the uh, Matt Pat's film theory said that in the Black Plague, afterwards, it was actually a really good time for England. I mean, they were mourning the loss of people, but there were more jobs, there was more food, there were more houses. Like, it was actually a better place to live because the population was cut down. And as dark as it sounds, like, we would never, like, want a purge night. But, I mean, I can kind of see where people are coming from on that front. No, in the same way that, like... There's no one who should be playing God. You don't want Thanos to destroy half the universe, but, like, if you think about it from a non-biased perspective... Now, here's the problem, right? This is the complication of it, is with the first purge, you see that the purging, the the government-instituted purging is happening in low-income areas and the projects and everything like that. So it's not really fair. I mean, at least Thanos, when he snaps his fingers... It's everyone. It doesn't matter in the entire race or universe. class or anything like that. You're just if it's your ticket, it's your ticket, and you're lucky to be alive. And the purge, there's an extra complication to that because the government doesn't want to take care of those that need government services. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly comparable, but at the same time, if you look at it from a greater good standpoint. You know, the greater good. There is that. There is a sense of like why someone could get into that ideology without having it based upon race or class, but instead on we need to survive as a nation. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool in the entire series, but in particular uh, election year and the first purge, but I'm just going to single out election year for this, is that you had small business owners being shown in their plight when it comes to the purge. And I think that's important because they're the ones that lose out when it comes to looting and everything like that. If you think right. about if you think about the LA riots, right? After or the, Rodney King. Um, or the uh, the New York blackout. Yeah, which if you basically about, tore apart, tore apart the entire city. There were businesses that never came back from that looting and that rioting. Well, the same with the, you know. the Rodney King riots. Right. You know, the plenty of people who were neighbors lost their businesses. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of, like, sitting up on the roof of your business and, like, protecting it or standing in front of your business with a gun and not allowing someone to come in 
and deciding that your property is worth defending. I mean, I think that that's a real American aesthetic. Small business drives this country. It's important to everyone, and everyone should support small businesses. And I think that they they really did address something that's important there because everyone thinks, ah, oh, I'm going to run down the street and, like, get some, you know, booze or food or clothes or whatever. Like, I think that, too. But at the same time, some of these people, they, they've worked their entire lives for that. And so they're not going to just give up their property. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. So it really did complicate that. And the second thing that I really like is that they didn't – they weren't afraid to show – the the black man arming himself. I don't uh -huh. mean the black man is just one. I mean like as in POC arming themselves. You know that was a huge pro component of the Black Panther Party when it was first formulated. Uh -huh. It was to say that the Black Panthers, you know, are trying to teach these people to arm themselves against a government that will not protect them. The same thing is being disseminated here. You know, like arm yourself, protect yourself, because no one's gonna protect you for you. I will say that um, it really bothered me, and this is, I'm gonna show my cards right now. I am a true boo, blue, boo, libertarian. So um, for me, it was kind of unsettling when they suggested that like, cause you know, libertarian is like basically the third party, you know? Yeah, but this is a new third but, party. But they're also, accused of, you know, like, lining the pockets of the NRA. Yeah. Like, so there are a lot of similarities. I almost walked out the theater because mainly I work at a movie theater, so I get my tickets for free. So <laughs> I was like, all right, well, if I'm done with this, I'm done with this. I'm glad I stayed. But ultimately, like, it, it kind of felt like more of a job at Libertarians than I've ever seen. And I was like, that's not really appropriate. I, I mean, we support, like, pretty much everything, so. I think it's because there's a lot of misunderstanding that's been spit around since the, the most recent election. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to think that, you know, well, there was the idea of what the NRA is and what the NRA represents with very little understanding of what the NRA is. I mean, there's the lobby portion of it, but then there's the, the Rifleman Association portion of it. There are plenty of people that are members of the NRA that believe in conservation that are not part of that group, but that there's this ideal that if you have an NRA sticker, then you're just this white bread, you know, terrible hunter, you know, like gun lobby, terrible person. Well, I mean, it's and, right. I am a terrible hunter. I'm not very good at it. But, I mean, it, it, it comes down to, like, the idea that, you know, the third party could come in and, like, establish them. But I don't – I really, as a libertarian myself, and everyone who knows me knows that, it's on my Twitter bio. Like, you know, I, I didn't take it that way. I, I felt like it was some ulterior party, a, a party that was, like, you know, it, it's an amalgamation like of the Republicans, the Democrats, like, the moderate Democrats – the Tea Party, the Libertarians, and the Nazis—like you, you've got a whole, uh, like all these ideologies that are. It being was just fed so incredibly sinister, and like I feel like it was kind of cool to, you know, in like the Scooby Doo universe, like where you take you unmask it and it's like someone who's very close to you, sort of thing. You know, like, oh, it's Mr. Jenkins, the guy who owns the hotel. You know, like, it seemed 
like that sort of thing when you were actually getting down to brass tacks because finally for the first time ever like this organization that seems incredibly nefarious has a face has a voice has names you know that you can actually put to the people but at the same time I feel like that's what kills the franchise it's kind of like in Sinister when you see the when you see monster. Mr. Boogie, Mr. Boogie's actually. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> That's I've had when too many vodkas. It, no, I have not had enough vodkas. Um, that's when it it becomes like, okay, well, that's the end. Yeah, I don't know how they could make a, a final film after this. And uh, I want to do kind of a lightning round about the things that were good. Well, they're not going bad. to. So, Let's talk about that in a moment. Yeah, we'll come, we'll come back to that. Uh, lightning round, some of the things that were really, really good about the, these films is I think everyone enjoys the aesthetic, particularly like the aesthetic that was born with the first one that has been expanded through the, the series of like the masks and the, the kills and the, the setup, you know, like it's this weird Halloween world where everyone wears masks and murders each other. Like, I'm sorry, but we as a society love to watch extreme violence and we love the Saw movies and we love the Purge movies and so like the more creative the kill the more creative the setup like in the first Purge when they're doing the party and everyone wearing the the eyeglasses and everything you know like the contacts like Mm -hmm. the aesthetic is something we're in love with the aesthetic is real also the human condition is far better than like the law that's supposed to be upheld I mean, you know, in every single movie, there's something about, like, how beautiful people are that they're willing to help someone even though it could put them in grave danger. Every single movie has that in the franchise. To go into some of the things that I really disliked, um, there's a... I, I can't even be able to begin to get into, like, and I'm not an NRA member and I'm not a fan of that organization, but I can't, can't even begin to get into the lack of understanding what the NRA does, which you can disagree with me all you want, send me a tweet, whatever, at Captain RD Beer. Um, but the lack of like, you. the lack of like understanding of like weapons, and even as much like, there should be a continuity manager on every Hollywood set. The fact that the weapons in people's hands change from shot to shot, literally, literally, Dimitri has one weapon in one shot with one sight and a second weapon in the next shot with a different sight and it's supposed to be in the same hallway totally doesn't make sense and shitty acting there are so many um times in the franchise that i can think of where it's just like the most awkward thing you've ever seen it's so embarrassing to watch yeah i mean like it's it's sad because it's not it's not some of the movies we watched recently but it is it's sad it's when rough. you see people that could probably perform better doing terrible, or you see people just, why are they casting that role? The worst part of it is that it almost feels like someone's, like, listening to it through, like, a head, you know, like, news reporters do. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Jim, well, you know, like, it seems like that in some of the lines, and I just, I can't with that. So, go on. So... The last thing that we're going to talk about in The Purge is, like, who cleans everything up? Like, if the government is not supposed to be responsible for the poor anymore, 
but you've got military organizations going into the projects and shooting everyone up. Like, who cleans up the bodies? Like, is this a bring out your dead moment where, like, there's, you know, Monty Python rolling through the streets? I know that there was purge sanitation services shown in election year. But, like, are they going and actually cleaning up the bullet holes in buildings? No. Or are we just leaving not. dead bodies in the street? Like, it just, it seems like a very unsanitized place. Also, and I will just say it as an asterisk, uh, there's a lot of over-explanation, like, to the point where it's just embarrassing to witness. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, but at the same time, you know, we're living in a Tyler Durden scape. Speaking of which, how do you feel like Tyler Durden would take this whole thing? I don't know, man. Uh, he's the gotta break an omelet or gotta break some eggs to make an omelet kind of guy. So yeah. However, I do feel like he would use that to like recruit so many people into Project Mayhem, and then just like create actual havoc. I don't know if Chuck Palahniuk. So you say his name. Or Palahniuk. Palahniuk. Mm-hmm. Whatever is out there and is listening to this podcast for some really dumb reason, then Chuck, I would really love your thoughts on the subject. It's never going to happen, but one can hope. And yes. Dream. Well, we've got Gosh. a few more minutes here, and I'd like to talk about, uh, we, we make some just broad statements about horror right now. Uh, I will say that I really enjoy the fact that this film was rated R because mm-hmm. I think one of the worst things that's plaguing modern horror is the idea the the try to get a PG-13. I'm sorry. Like, teenagers, 17-year-olds out there, tough luck. Like, find someone that'll rent you the movie or whatever. Well... But, like, you don't don't deserve to be in the theater. May I argue... No, PG-13 horror is bad horror. Okay, but hold up, because what are you the most terrified of? Okay, but I watched that... And the ring, and they're both PG-13. I watched them when I was a teenager. No, they're effective in their scares. You know, here's the thing. If If it's a blood and guts horror film, then absolutely it should be rated R. However, if it's more of a you know, the grudge or the ring sort of film, like, there's no reason to have it at a rated R. Yeah, but if it feels like it's trying to make the PG-13... The one one exception is, um... The... We just watched it yesterday. No. What are you talking about? The Conjuring. They tried their best to get a PG-13 rating, and literally, they were told... That aside from just cutting the entire movie, there was nothing that was going to make it less than a rated R because it was just too yeah, damn the, scary. The MPAA made it a rated R film just because it was too scary, which I have my own thoughts about the MPAA. There's no, there's but, no like bloodiness in it either. Like no, it's, it's a pretty. It's I just mean, it's a terrifying, terrifying film. It's not something that thirteen year olds should be going to see. You know. So. But I just I disagree with PG thirteen horror. Like yes, I know that my short list of the things that terrify me, which are stupid and everyone thinks I'm irrational for it, are PG-13 no, horrors. I mean, the grudge can but, actually be terrifying. But that's not the point. The point is that like those those few movies found a way to make a PG-13 horror mm-hmm. great. And so that's great. If you can make your PG-13 horror actually scary, go for it. But there's too many well, films that are shooting for the PG-13 so that they can get a wider audience, but they actually take something away from the horror. And that's not good. See, I'm not entirely sure of that because you and I have watched so many YouTube horrors 
that don't have a single drop of blood. They're not, like, I would rate them at PG-13, except for they're just so damn, like, they're earworm like they're mind worms they get into your head well i would expand on that because the ones okay so if you are not a fan of going on youtube and looking up short horror films please please if you're a horror fan do that tonight do that tomorrow do it when you have a chance but get on youtube and watch short horror films because you're right there are plenty of short horror films that are hold on that are they could be PG-13 fully fleshed out films, but they, they accomplish what a PG-13 horror film does in, in an hour and 45 minutes. minutes in 10 minutes. Yeah. Yes. If that. I mean, one of the most effective ones, and I feel like you can't even disagree with me on this, is uh, The Ten Steps. Yep. Which is an Irish short horror film. And it's, there's no, I mean, there's no, like, there's one jump scare, right? Mm-hmm. The rest of it is just terrifying because it's like, have you ever heard the, uh, what is it called? The, the sound. The, where it goes up and down at the same time. The shepherd's oh, the tone. shepherd's tone. It feels like the, the watching equivalent of the shepherd's tone of like just this panic raising in you. Mm-hmm. You have no idea why. It's beautiful, and you will never go down the steps the same way again. Um, you know, and there's so many horror movies, like horror shorts like that, that it's like, I don't know. I feel like horror movies are almost becoming a dead medium because it's so much more effective to scare your viewers with, like, short imaginations of it. Well, and I think that, like, part of the problem is that, like, studios are not making scary films anymore they're making films that have some scares in them that draw people in like a huge audience but they're not making great horror films like films that will stand the test of time so if you want to find well what are you gonna say i was gonna ask like so what are some like films that aren't like classically horror that you would say are truly horrific in that way well, I mean, there's a couple. I think that there. Uh, my next point was going to be that, like, right. if you want to find good horror films, you need to go to Netflix or you need mm-hmm. to go to absolutely sometimes Hulu, sometimes Amazon Prime. But even uh, Netflix has a, a larger like selection, and Netflix is where good horror films that you're not going to hear about are living. You know, you might not even you might find crap below that on Redbox, but like you're not going to see it there, like. Straight to Netflix horror is where good horror is living at. And if you want some stuff that's similar to The Purge... Um, well, I mean, I would say the Belko experiment, honestly. It's very real in its touch, and it's it's got this, like... Is that on Netflix right now or Hulu? Uh, one of the two. I think it's on Hulu. If you don't have both services, then, like, what are you even doing you know, Some people just want to watch TV. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's silly, because we're a movie podcast, so... Uh, but the Belco Experiment essentially takes everything that you could, like, predetermine about horror, and it's like, you know what? Fuck you! There could be a room full of people, and you're still about to die. So, I, I mean, I think it's incredibly clever. Um, there's one other one that I'm thinking of that's not classically a horror movie, 
but I'm willing to put it on the list because it made me so anxious. But you go ahead and say the other one that's on the list. Well, I think that the Stanford Prison Experiment is a good one for people to watch. It's uh, it's very real. It's uh, it reminds me of The Purge because of its experimentation. Oh, it's terrible. But uh, it's it's real. It actually happened, and I think that if you watch it as a person, like we have this huge trend that. You know, you can see reflected in like the Babadook, where we're really trying to get into what scares us as people, and what's real terror versus like, oh, Freddy or Jason or whatever. Like, oh, well, the Babadook is about grief, like a mother's grief, and it's sort of personified in the Babadook. That's like, not to say I love the Babadook as a movie. It doesn't need to be in the horror it. franchise it's not actually that scary of a movie and i feel like it's actually doing both the genre and the movie a total disservice by making them one and the same well but i'm not talking That's, crap about it i'm saying well i mean like, it's the same thing as like it comes at night it's honestly a decent film but if you're just like trying to get your adrenaline up and waiting for that scare it's not gonna come yeah no you're not gonna get you the know? jump scare that comes from things but you like you might find a true sense of real terror in the Babadook or it follows or it comes at night or the Stanford prison experiment right, so try absolutely. those things out they're definitely worth your time another one that got my blood pumping and I know it's the same with you it's not technically in the horror horror category but like it deserves to be in there uh no escape it's that Owen Wilson movie about trying to get out of that mm -hmm. um can't remember. I think it's Indonesia. It's like hold Cambodia. On. I'm, I'm gonna actually look it up so I don't offend anyone. Uh, it says Asia, somewhere in Asia. Okay, so there's no real Southeast Asia place, but it's in Southeast Asia. But like, so yes, uh, a thriller. I believe. I that, literally like, never thought that I would say that Owen Wilson is like so compelling. Movie, people don't but. align thrillers with horror very often, but honestly, it's real terror. Like, you're yeah, really that was terrified complete and total terror. Being. Like, it doesn't have to be supernatural or have demons in it in order to be terrifying, and so yeah, that's that's horrifying. That's why they call yeah. it a thriller, though, because they're like, well, it doesn't have a ghost or a demon in it. Well, whatever, who cares? So, it's, I mean, it's actual, like, real life horror that I find much more compelling than the entire Purge fran franchise. My whole thing for the future of scary movies, horror mm -hmm. films, is, like, stop wasting time on story and exposition. I mean, like, we definitely need enough story and exposition to get into it, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like, the Masters of Horror, John Carpenter, you know, uh, Eli Roth, uh, Wes Craven, these guys, they didn't waste time on, like, trying to explain to you a character. Did you seriously not just put Hitchcock in that category? Alfred Hitchcock is like that, but Alfred Hitchcock did tell stories, and... You know, like thinking about Rear Window and other things. Like, there's there's definitely an exposure. There's to the a story, limited like, amount of exposition, but like. I mean, obviously, obviously Hitchcock is a master of horror. But what I'm saying is, like, let's get let's get back to the point where we actually have movies that have terrifying killers and terrifying ghosts and terrifying demons, where I don't need to be explained to that to like I don't need to be explained how like their uncle touched them when they were four. So yeah, exactly. Like, like that, uh, oh, crap. It's based off the short film, the Lights Out. Yeah, Lights Out. Lights Out was, like, way over-explained. It was so much better as a short film, and, like, it hurts my feelings. 
that it became like a feature length because it it just there was too much explanation it made me feel bad about the demon ghost lady and like I just genuinely wanted to give her a hug and if I want to give my like evil characters a hug then I'm not going to be afraid I'm yeah. not so, like, stop showing us faces, too. Like, we don't need to see them. We don't need to see the full fucking face in order to be afraid. In fact, the less of the face that we see as an audience, the more terrified we are of it. If you want to give us Samara, give us Samara with half of her face. If you want to give us the, the lady from the grudge, give us half of her face. You know, don't give us a full face, because it's not scary then. Yep. You know? No, I agree. Like, you take something away from something. From same with the Babadook. Same with Sinister. Same with... I mean, you know, like, it seems like a classic horror movie fail that always happens. Stop showing us. Just yep. tell us what's going on. And, you know, we're bound to be that much more terrified. Because it's either, like, audio or light or makeup. That does it for us. And if you're showing that face for more than, I'd say... 1.5 seconds then you're doing something wrong and if you show it in your trailer then you should just stop making the movie yeah absolutely so quickly 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 we've got some upcoming horror films that we think you guys should check out um, one of the ones is John Carpenter executive producer on the new Halloween film Laurie Strode is returning uh, with uh, I'm gonna let you work this one out Jamie Lee Curtis yep there as, you go uh, Laurie um Unfriended Dark Web. Uh, Unfriended was not great, but doesn't look terrible. Maybe they it pumped a little good, bit too actually. much studio money into the trailer, but might be okay. I, I think it looks really good. If you've and ever, it has uh, Laney in it, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you ever read my uh, former horror blog, I did a little bit, a little blurb on 13 cameras. It seems like there's a 14 cameras coming out, which might be okay. Um, definitely an indie horror might not be worth your time but you know you could, you could collect it if you want to so there's one it looks like it's called overlord um i haven't watched the previews for it yet but it honestly the aesthetic looks astounding so i'm pretty excited uh the nun i'm very curious to see where tasia is like you know because like tasia is now in the same series as her big sister so vera so I really want to see where Tasia plays a part. If she's like Vera's sister, if she's Vera's like mom at a younger age, like where does Tasia fit in? Because like there's no way it's a coincidence. Well, what's the, um, the nun's name? Valak or Varric? I have no idea. You can't ask me those so, questions right so now. So scary. Um, there's the new Slenderman movie coming out. I really hope that Marble Hornets has something to do with it. Honestly, I honestly like. I feel like that would really aid in the attention i really it. hope that that film is good i don't know if it will be but like you know it might be okay i'm probably gonna find out that it's pg-13 and not want to see it but you know i really <laughs> hope it that anyway. it's good uh the meg is coming out if you are a fan of like shark horror you know jason statham it looks it looks a little piranha but i'm very excited about it uh, a big one that we want to pump is uh, Bloodfest, which is coming out from Bloodfest. our very favorite people at Rooster Teeth. 
they are developing a horror film. Actually, they developed it a while ago, and I believe it premiered at South by Southwest. And so. we will all get to see it very soon. And so, if you are a Rooster Blood Teeth Fest. fan, you need to watch Bloodfest. And if you're not a Rooster Teeth fan, you're wrong. And you <laughs> should watch Bloodfest anyway. And that's Rooster Teeth. Yeah. Blood yeah. Fest. I got drunk during this episode. I'm very sorry. <laughs> anyway, well, we we're drinking straight vodka to talk yeah. about the purge because we were talking about like what would we what would we do if there was a purge. So and so maybe sense. next time we'll talk about the reason why people in the Final Destination movies always get a, a precognition a premonition thing. Are you just making stuff up as we No, go? no, because we're going to talk about this at some point. We didn't have time to talk about it this time, but next time we're definitely going to talk about the reason why everyone in the Final Destination has a premonition because there's definitely an opposing force to death. Thank you very much. Thank you later. Love All right. you. Goodbye. Thank you later. Please press pound and send word by homing pigeon.